Miracy. Start thinking about what your retirement plan would be now, wherever you are, whatever stage you're at. Start thinking about it now and start setting some goals for yourself. What does retirement even look like? What could it look like for you? What would you want it to look like? Welcome to Just Between Coaches. In today's episode, we're tackling a burning question that many coaches want to be answered. How in the world can you retire without shutting down your beloved business? Is it an endless grind until you finally say farewell to your coaching business? I'm your host, Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped tens of thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. So how do you gracefully step back from the front lines without closing the doors of your business? Is it possible to find a balance between work and retirement in the coaching realm? One of our listeners sent in a question exactly about this topic. So keep listening as we delve deeper into these questions and provide guidance to help you navigate this important phase of your coaching career. Today, I've invited Ari Inni to the show to explore this topic with me. Ari is the head of strategy in Miracy's ACES Business Acceleration Program. He's also co-hosting another Miracy show, Blowing Up, together with Linda Claire Puig. Welcome back, Ari. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm really excited to have you on the show again. And, you know, the last time we discussed what makes a great coach, but for those of our listeners who don't know you, can you just share a little bit of your background? Absolutely. Um, so I have been a business coach and consultant for the past six years uh, through Miracy's ACES Acceleration Program. And in that capacity, I've worked with over 100 entrepreneurs now building their different businesses. And many of those entrepreneurs were coaches. Uh, so I've helped them start from scratch all the way up to getting their business to a place where they're able to take more time to themselves and actually be able to run a successful business while enjoying the fruits of their labor. Now, as I said in the introduction, we received a question from one of our listeners. And the question is from actually a coach's console member. Her name is Regina Fassold. It's short and clear, and she wrote this. Hi, Melinda, I have a really big question. How do I retire without closing the business? Do I just work, work, work until I can afford to close shop for good? How do other coaches handle that? Thanks, Regina. Regina, thank you so much for your question. And Ari, let's dive in. So Regina wants to know how to retire without necessarily closing their coaching business. What are some alternative approaches that coaches could take instead of just working endlessly until they can afford to shut down their operations? That's a really great question and a really important one. I think it's one of those things that every single coach should be thinking about no matter where they are in their coaching career and how big their practice is, it's never too soon to start thinking about this because I think the core component of it is diversifying income. If all you're doing is working with coaches one-on-one and your time is always going to be directly connected to how much money you're making, it's always dollars per hour, then yeah, to a certain extent, you will just need to work, work, work until you're ready, you have a big enough nest egg, you're able to close shop, and then you're done. But if you're able to bring in additional income streams, 
while you are still coaching, while you're still doing this thing that you really love doing, you're able to open up the opportunity for yourself to take a step back from the coaching elements of it, the more time-consuming elements of your business when you're ready, while still keeping some income coming in. When you say the different sources of income, diversifying your income, do you mean like in our coaching business, I need to be making money doing one-on-one coaching packages or group programs or offer a membership or also do retreats and like those different types of income sources? Or do you mean outside of your coaching business altogether, I've got money coming in from real estate investments or from like, can you clarify that a bit? Sure. So I think it's a bit of a both and or it can be a both and. So absolutely, diversifying your income streams, period, is a good idea. Having multiple ways for you to make money is always a good idea, whether you're a coach or not a coach. But what I mean when I say diversify your income streams, I'm really talking more about using your same knowledge and expertise that you use in your coaching practice and selling that expertise in other ways. So a great example of this is online courses. If you were to have an online course that you're able to continue selling and continue supporting with either a minimal involvement or no involvement from you, and you can do that after you retire, as it were, that's an income stream that will keep on coming in. Of course, you can't decide that you want to retire next week and then build a course and just hope for that to start bringing in money and you know that's it, you're good. This is something you need to plan for ahead of time and start working on ahead of time. And that's why I was saying earlier that I think it's really important that every single coach be thinking about this. Every coach, whether you're going to retire from this, or maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh no, I'm going to be in business for 20 years, or that's not even on my radar yet. Like every coach should have this in the back of their mind to help drive how they're building out their business right now. I know for me, when I started Coaches Console, I'm an efficiencies geek. In my corporate job, I thought this way. Owning this business, I thought this way. And I'm always thinking, if something happened to me, can the rest of my team members or somebody else step in and can the business keep running? And I say that for, God forbid, I don't want anything to happen to anybody on my team. But it's like, if something were to happen to any team member, how can somebody step in and that function, that job still happen and the business still runs? And so I was always setting up our business so that It wasn't dependent on me or dependent on a person or a group or a team. And I always had in the back of my head, if I should ever sell this business, I want this to be attractive. Now, I did this at my corporate job. I didn't own that company. I had zero say in if I could sell that business. But I always thought if I could sell this company, what would make it attractive for a buyer? And I made sure the back end was really well done. So a buyer would be like, I, that, I want that business. And that's, that was a driving force for me. And so I think that's another component that every coach should be thinking is if you want to retire, whether it's retire or sell or bring a CEO in or a managing partner or something like that, you got to have your stuff together so that it's attractive for somebody else. I think every coach should be paying attention to that. So let's talk about some of those alternative options. I had a business partner. I wasn't the one retiring, but Kate retired. And we knew that from the get-go that she was 20 years older than me. One day she'd retire and I would buy her out and step in and keep it going. And so that's how we did it. What are some other ways that people could do that? I feel like there are a few. Uh, One is creating additional types of products that you could sell that either take either no, no time of yours anymore or less of your time. 
whether that is a course, whether that is a retreat that you run every once in a while, and it's a very big push for a few weeks, and then you're done for a few months and so on, and that can happen again and again. Another way to do it is to bring in employees. If you are a solo practitioner, if you're working on your own, is there an opportunity for you to bring in a junior coach so that some of the clients that you start bringing in can actually go to another coach on your team who you are training? So you might be able to still sell relatively easily because you have an established business. You have someone that you can start putting uh, new coaching clients that come to you with, and you can guarantee that those people who are coming to you are still getting a high level of service because you are working with that coach to support them in providing great service. And if you bring in multiple of those coaches, that can increase your revenues because all of a sudden you're working a lot less, you know, or you have a handful of clients, but suddenly you have all these coaches that you are paying to do coaching work for you. And you are getting a certain percentage of that that goes to the business. And then if at some point you do want to retire, one of those coaches would probably be able to step up and take over the business for you. And then at that point, you know, you don't have to do the work. The business still functions. You're still an owner of that business, but not an employee of that business. And the employees could be running everything, the managers, the leaders, the CEOs. You don't, it doesn't mean you have to have a huge business to do that either. That's right. And you can still receive profits, revenue, income from it while it still functions. That's, that was a natural progression of the coach's console. One of my business partner, Kate, one of her dreams was to have a coach team. And so when we launched our program and we enrolled 400 people into our program and the second launch, we're like, oh, we're going to need more than two of us to do this. And so the birth of our coach team happened pretty quickly. And now we've got eight coaches on our coach team. I don't do one-on-one coaching anymore. I did for a while, but only for those year-long high-ticket clients because I want to do other things. But when you bring on a team or other people, your business can still happen. You still can have the benefit of it. And then you can choose what are the exact elements that you do want to be involved in or not. Another option is to sell it. We were talking about that, mentioning that earlier. You know, the question that Regina had was, how do I retire without closing the business? A lot of people have the myth that, well, I have to have a really big business and a really big list and a lot of revenue and big profit to sell. And that might be the case, but it doesn't have to be the case. It has to be more than a hobby, right? I don't think many people are going to buy a hobby, but if you do treat it like a business, think of it like a business, organize it as a business, then it is an asset that can be sold and you might get a lump sum for it, but the business continues. The work still happens with the clients. You might get payouts over time. A lot of options for that. Anything else come up for you, Ari? This is not a quick thing to do. So if you know that you want to retire, that you intend to work on this business for the foreseeable future, this is your career, this is what you are doing, Start thinking about what your retirement plan would be now, wherever you are, whatever stage you're at, start thinking about it now and start setting some goals for yourself. What does retirement even look like? What could it look like for you? What would you want it to look like? So that you're not coming up 
two years before retirement and suddenly scrambling to put everything into place and hoping for the best as far as will you be able to get to a point where you are able to achieve the goals that you have. You are able to get to the level of uh, revenue that you need or have a big enough nest egg or whatever it is. I don't think it's complicated as far as the what are the options. It is complicated to implement to a certain degree. And so start as soon as you can, whether it is finding new people to come in and work with you, whether that is selling courses, whether that is finding other sources and streams of income that you could use your IP for, whether that is, you know, maybe starting to do uh, speaking gigs where you're a paid speaker and that's a way for you to reduce the amount of time that you're working one-on-one with people and you're able to maximize your, your revenues. Whatever it might be, start thinking about it now so you can start putting those things into motion. Now, one of the common scenarios I've seen many times is that that scenario you described where you bring in on a junior coach and you're doing some of the coaching, they're doing more of the coaching, and then they're gradually taking over not just coaching responsibilities, but even other responsibilities in your business. What are some of the things that people need to think about if they want to pursue that finding that junior coach or finding that, that coach team? Or how do they begin to think in that direction with that option? For a lot of people, that step might be a little bit scary. And I just want to acknowledge that going from being a solopreneur to having a team can feel like a very big step. Another way is finding a partner. And that is actually the shorter, potentially shorter process if you need to get out of your coaching business quicker. So finding someone who is at a closer level to your business that might want to partner with you, that might benefit from getting access to your clients, whether it's uh, them getting access to your IP, being able to um, to do some kind of joint offering with them that they would be able to then run with. Uh, that is one way to do it. If it's finding the junior person, I would think about who are the people coming to you that you would want working with a more junior person that you think could work with a more junior person? What are the minimum capabilities, essentially? So certification, of course, but also What experience do you need them to have for you to feel comfortable to start sending clients their way? And what is the rate that makes sense? So of course you need to, if the person that is coming to you is going to be working with a more junior coach, likely they will be, uh, you'll be charging a slightly lower amount than what you'd be charging to work with you directly. Because if they're coming to you, they're coming to you to work with you directly. If there is someone else, unless they feel like that person is as senior as you are, they might not expect to pay as much. So what is the rate that you think you could charge for their time? And what would be the rate that the junior coach would be happy to have? And does that math work out? Does that math make sense? And I think the transition period is important. Like you said, this is not a quick process, no matter if you're finding a partner or you're finding in that coach team or coach person, a coach, there's the initial conversation, then there's the training. And I know when we built out our coach team, the first group that we, you know, the next cohort that we offered, Kate and I were still primarily doing it. And we were reviewing, we had three months of training for our coach team. And here's the common questions and the common scenarios and doing some coach training within our content and course and material that they practiced and we reviewed and gave feedback and then they practiced some more and then we reviewed and gave feedback. So there was that bit of transition. And it wasn't until the following cohort that they were ready to actually coach on their own. And so that transition 
it's a runway if you want to really create a great smooth experience for your clients. And then once we had that, it was a good investment up front because now they're ready to take however many people we want to bring into our course. Now in that transition, the other thing that was happening is while we were working with our coaches behind the scenes, preparing them, we're working with our clients, preparing them Yes, that you're about to start working with our coach team, not me, not us. And, and it's not as difficult as people think. It's just, I had to be very intentional about how I'm positioning my team, how I'm transferring the trust. And I think we have to be very intentional about how we do that to prepare our clients for this transition. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, that is a really, really great point and a really, really critical piece of this. Your clients are used to you. They're used to working with you and they probably like you. Otherwise, they wouldn't have stuck around. First of all, it can't be a, I'm not available anymore, so you're stuck with this person. There needs to be a lot of that transference of trust, as you said, Melinda. And part of that is them starting to be exposed to the new coaches. Part of that is you speaking about the new coaches and talking them up. Part of that is you starting to show your clients why working with the new coach will actually be better for them. And this is what we're always looking for. How can you make the experience for your client even better, especially with a new coach? I mean, you should be striving to always make your client's experiences better and better and better all the time anyway. That's how you know we, we always want to improve as coaches. But even more so, when you're transferring someone to work with a new coach, it needs to feel like a win for them. So not only do they trust this person, but their experience is going to be markedly better because they have a new perspective and they have access to you. So they're getting double the amount of experience behind them. Maybe this person is more available than you are now because you're taking a step back from things. Give yourself that time to make that transition as smooth as possible. So it's a couple of months maybe before the transition actually happens, then another month or so of transition before that is final. Uh, so part of that is absolutely being in touch with the coach a lot, having some touch points with the client. You don't want to be stepping on the new coach's toes, but be there to support the new coach and to hear feedback from the client. But are there obligations that we need to be thinking about or addressing before we either step back from our business or hand our business off or bring somebody else on while keeping it operational? What do we need to pay attention to? So there are a few things here. There is whatever agreement that you have with your clients, and that is something that you should absolutely have in mind anyway. Um, hopefully you have a very clear agreement with your clients on what the coaching looks like, whether you have a package, whether it's um, from session to session, whatever it is, I hope there's a lot of clarity there. Um, and with, of course, whoever you bring in, there needs to be a lot of clarity. There's always a danger when you are bringing in someone to your organization, they start representing you. And if things don't go well, you want to have a way to stop things and prevent any further damage from happening. So there needs to be, of course, a non-compete clause in there. There needs to be you know, clarity around communication and how they can or can't communicate with clients. There needs to be a lot of processes clearly in place. Without clear processes, it's going to be very hard for you to bring someone on anyway. So having all of these pieces, and the legal part is definitely one of them, in place is critical for any good transition and for any point of taking your business to the next level. 
And so I would absolutely be thinking about if I were to bring someone on, what are my concerns? And think for yourself about those things as well to talk to your lawyer about, because that's the real person to be talking to about this. Yeah, for sure. Everybody listening should have their own business attorney, their own accountant that they work with in their business. It's important to have very good agreements in place with whoever you're working with, whether it's a buyer, whether it's an employee, a contractor, a coach, whoever it is. Um, And then the other thing that Kate and I did, we knew when we started the business from day one that she'd be retiring before I did. And so right from day one, we established our exit strategy. We had no idea if it would be two years, 10 years, 20 years, whenever. But whenever that happened, we had it spelled out in our agreement. Here's our exit strategy. Here's how we value the business. Here's what this means. Here's the payouts. Here's what happens. So if there were ever a moment that triggered it's time to part ways, we just opened that document and step by step did what it said. And that was important for us because a lot of times in this industry, I find, you know, it's not like a private equity firm that's going to come buy your business. Maybe, but probably not. It's going to be somebody you know, or somebody who knows you or a student that's gone through your program. And so that close relationship is usually there and you want to protect that. And so Kate and I said, friends first, business will not get in the way of friends. And so it was important for us to have those clear agreements articulated in advance so that we could protect our friendship. And we knew no matter what happened, whether it was an easy transition, whether we butted heads, whether we disagreed about something, we could go back to that, protect the friendship and keep moving. When it comes to you, okay, so we've got this in place, you know, whatever the option is, we found that coach team. It's been a few years. We're making that transition. How do you begin to reduce your workload, maybe your client load as you approach that retirement point or that where you're backing off without compromising the quality? How do you start to actually do that? So ideally, by this point, you have a team that you trust and that you believe can create really amazing outcomes for your clients. Otherwise, you wouldn't be working with them to the extent that you are. And so you start that conversation with your clients, with your team around, okay, this is coming up. This is my plan. I want to retire in a year from now or six months from now. I would try and give yourself as much runway as possible, at least six months, if not a year, for you to start having these conversations, letting your clients know it's coming. For some clients, they might just be ready to end and be done. That's totally fine. For some clients, they will be open to the transition and hopefully they have maybe met the coaches that you work with. And so you can start having that conversation with them around what are their goals What would be best for them? What is the experience that they need to have in order to continue getting the support that they really need in whatever realm it is that you coach in? And then you talk with them about how that transition will work to make sure that they are getting that support and there is no break in that support. And so you can also be flexible. Some clients will just say, you know, great, I want to meet the new coach and have a conversation with them. Great, I jive with them. Awesome, let's do this. We're good. And some people might need a couple meetings where maybe there's a handoff meeting where it's you and the client and another coach, and you're talking through the challenges that they're currently facing and how you're currently working on those challenges. And you get the new coach's perspective and you start letting them lead, and then they take over and you phase out. And it can be anywhere in between those. It depends a lot on the client. And the most important piece here is to have open, honest communication with the client 
so they don't feel like they are left behind. Yeah. So transparency is a big thing and just that clear communication. So I want to summarize some of the things that we've talked about today. We talked about some alternative approaches to how to retire without shutting the doors, that question that Regina wrote in with. And we covered, you know, maybe you find a buyer or you create additional income, you partner with somebody, you bring on a manager or CEO, you bring on a junior coach or employees. And we talked about different ways that you could do that. And you said something really important. Every coach should be thinking about this, whether you want to retire and close your doors or you're going to be doing this for the next 20 years. It's a mindset to get in to really help you think as a business. You talked about diversifying your business income and just diversifying your income using your expertise in other ways so that if you do sell your coaching, you can still have income coming in if that's necessary for you. And then to think, how can I sell this asset? To think in that way helps you, force you to think of it like a business. You told us it's not a quick thing to do this, to start now and think about what are your goals, whether it's a year or three years or five or 25 years from now. We kind of dove into bringing on that junior coach or a coach team to take over the responsibilities. And you kind of gave us some of those initial steps to take and the transition. I think that was the biggest takeaway for me is the transition is vital and it is not a quick thing. We have to train our coaches. If we're bringing in a coach or multiple coaches or whoever we're bringing on the team, we've got to train them and we have to train our clients. And it has to feel like a win for the clients. That's the most important thing is is thinking about their perspective so that it feels like a win for them. We got into some legal stuff without being legal, but mentioning about some of the tools. But in the show notes, you'll find that you need to check with your business attorney on that. We talked about exit strategies and coach agreements, how to gradually reduce your workload, and really just kind of talked about a lot of different ways that it could look. Ari, any parting words that you have for our listeners on this topic? Most important thing is start thinking about it now and think about what is the vision you have for yourself. There is no one right way to do this, but start having this in mind now so you can start moving in that direction even if it's years and years and years away. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Ari for this great conversation. And a thank you to Regina Fassold for sending in the question. You can find out more about Ari at miracy.com. That's miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E.com. Ari, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. It was a ton of fun. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Blowing Up and Self-Awakened Lifestyle. Mishi Lance produced this episode. I wrote this episode together with her. Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer. Danny Innie is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. If you want to listen to upcoming and previous great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might be listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and see you next time. Miracy.
And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode. 